0: okay who's ready for the word of god Yay! who's been challenged for the last 12 months by what i've shared Yay! my goodness uh, a post you know you know have facebook for those of you who got facebook um Facebook will pop up a reminder of something that you posted from a year ago. Have you ever noticed that? Or two years ago, three years ago? It's like watching ancient history. And um, just in the last week, a uh, post of mine um, popped up as a reminder of what was happening here a year ago. And pretty much a year ago is when Sydney went into lockdown. And um, I remember very clearly I was, uh, the, the government had just announced these restrictions and I had to come in here with a tape measure and physically measure what capacity we could, this thing is ringing again Michael, you just need to back off that lower mids I think it's taken off. Um, I had to physically measure out what, how many people we could put in the building. And it was uh, everybody was concerned about what was going on. Nobody knew how serious COVID was going to be. In some nations, particularly the United States, it's been horrific, the toll that's been taken on places. Anyway, so I was here and I was measuring everything up and I got in the car to go home. I put on some worship music and I heard the Lord speak to me as I was driving the car and he said, I am roaring over you. This shall not touch you. And I immediately appropriated that word and have been declaring it just about every single day for the last year. And I can tell you that not one person in the extended families represented here in Open Heaven Church has got COVID, has caught it, not one person. And so we just continue to believe that while we are of course, must respect what the government asks us to do by way of the regulations, provided they don't cross certain lines. Um, We also are expected to stand by faith because we are people that are representative of the God of signs and wonders and miracles. Is that right? So for those of you who have been challenged and impacted by what I've preached over the last 12 months, I make absolutely no apology. Because we need to be challenged. We need to be set on fire. We need to understand that the fire of circumstances does a greater work in us. However, I feel that God is placing a shift upon us into the future and that there's a foundation that God wants me to lay today. And uh, this title is called prospering in adversity. (laughs) Everyone's so unused to me saying anything about prosperity that they're all like, oh, Oh, what's happened to Pastor John? (laughs) Who wants to prosper even in adverse circumstances? I see hands going up everywhere. Well, uh, Today is no different in the sense of a challenging message, but I want you to see that this is challenging in a different way. God wants to turn upside down our view of how culture affects us because I believe that God wants us to see that he means for us to affect culture, not culture infect us. And so these questions were rising in my heart over the last couple of weeks and I have to acknowledge Luke's message last Sunday morning which was an absolute ripper but it also had this prophetic thrust to it because um, after I preached the message the week before God took me to a certain scripture and that scripture opens up uh, the whole um, the time frame around Daniel and what happened to Daniel and his friends And there was Luke last week talking so beautifully about how God dealt with Nebuchadnezzar and dealt with his pride and the the part that Daniel and his friends had to to play in that. And so um, these questions that God was asking me were things like, how do you prosper in a culture that is diametrically opposed to just about everything that you hold dear? How do you live out a purposeful, fulfilling life when it seems that the future is all uncertainty? And what is our response when we see our nation in a downward spiral of great sinfulness? Because this is the truth of the nation that we live in, that our nation is in a downward spiral of great sinfulness. And there is a scripture that I touched on a couple of weeks ago kind of in passing that God really impressed upon me over the last two weeks and it's kind of like a different facet of the same diamond that Luke preached from last Sunday. This scripture is from the book of Jeremiah and so to give you a little bit of insight into the scope of this message Jeremiah was the last prophet before the fall of Jerusalem when the city was destroyed and the people taken captive by Babylon and he had the unenviable and unpopular task of warning the people about what was coming we as Christians should not be surprised by what happens in the future because God holds the future and we know him And uh, so he had prophesied what was going to happen. He had prophesied this captivity and everything unfolded exactly as he prophesied it would. But Jeremiah also prophesied that this captivity would be for a specific time over a specific number of years, 70 years, and that then God would restore his people to the land. But what I want you to get hold of this morning is what God wanted to do in the people over those 70 years. Because it wasn't just like, okay, you're going into captivity and you're going to sit there in Babylon and twiddle your thumbs until God miraculously brings you out. No, God wanted his people to influence the culture of the most wicked nation on the face of the earth. And so God wanted to be, he had to start at a specific place. He had to draw his people back to him again. They had been seduced for generations away uh, from God into the worship of the idols that they saw around them. They um, They had been ironically seduced by prosperity when God wanted prosperity for them in a certain godly context. He never wants to prosper us for prosperity's sake. He wants to prosper us for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. And so he knew that they were going to have to go through some things but his generosity and grace are on display because the Bible teaches us clearly that he meant to prosper them even in their captivity. He wanted them to have favour and he raised up examples for them. He raised up a remnant just as he always does. We notice throughout biblical history that God's always got a remnant in place, a remnant that refuses to bow, a remnant whose heart is after his, who refuses to bow to the culture around them, and God comes and blesses those people. And so we pick up the story just after the Jewish people had been taken in chains to Babylon. And one of the things that we need to understand here is that Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were amongst those young men taken from their own city and taken into captivity. And so Jeremiah wrote a letter, a prophetic word, to those who had been captured. And this is a there's there's a couple of verses in here here that you will I know recognise straight away. But it's I want to I want to show you the bigger picture, the context, Jeremiah twenty nine four through fourteen. Thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, who caused them to be carried away into captivity, God. Build houses. And dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. A few things here God knew what needed to happen for his people to turn back to him. He had been calling attention to their apostasy, their turning away from God for generations. He had sent prophet after prophet after prophet and they were successively ignored. Some of them were even uh, killed. And so it was God who raised up the Babylonians as instruments of his judgment to conquer Israel. That's uncomfortable theology. But that's what happened. God raised up the most evil nation of that time as an instrument of judgment and justice upon his chosen people. That is a scary thought. But even in their conquest and captivity, God had appointed increase over them. He says at the end of that verse that I just finished that you may be increased there and not diminished. He wanted them to flourish. He wanted them to prosper. He wanted them to have houses and land. He wanted their generations to be blessed. He wanted them to be multiplied even in adverse circumstances. And then the next verse is the one that really grabbed my attention. So Jeremiah 29 7, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. And that verse stopped me in my tracks, as my phone just has. I'm always telling people to turn the phone off in church and <clears throat> do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> oh, dear. Ah. Uh seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it for in its peace you will have peace. Here are God's chosen people in captivity to the most wicked empire the world had seen up until that time and throughout the history of their nation Israel had a specific mandate to stand apart from the evil around them, to stand in opposition to evil, to have nothing to do with it. In fact when God gave them their promised land. They were to destroy all the nations that were there. True? Um, And now God says, I want you to seek the peace of this city that has taken you captive, that has put out the eyes of your king Zedekiah and killed his sons in front of him. This city, Babylon, that has destroyed your culture, your homes, your loved ones, your city, your way of life, I want you to bless it and I want you to pray for its peace. Does this strike you as kind of, hang on a minute, what? Not only that, but when he says to pray for its peace, the word is shalom. And so when they're praying for the peace of Babylon, They're praying for its peace, they're praying for its safety, its happiness, its health, its welfare, its prosperity, its wholeness, its rest, its completeness, its soundness, its tranquility, and its contentment. God is just a little bit more gracious than we give him credit for. Are you challenged by this? Because I am. God says, pray this over those who have destroyed your way of life. Why? Because as you bless them, God will bless you and he will prosper you even in your captivity. And he is very specific. Pray to the Lord for the city, not against it. (laughs) Pray... Pray for Babylon. Pray for its government. Pray for its ungodly king and its ungodly rulers. Because as you do, and as I pour out blessing upon them in response to your blessing, I'm going to bless you. And in fact, uh, the instruction is to seek the Lord on its behalf. Because let's face it, they don't know what they're doing. They're praying to all these false idols and gods. They're worshipping the demonic. They're caught in the occult. They don't know what they're doing. But God's saying, for the sake of my people, I'm going to bless them. But you have your part to play. For in its peace, you will have peace. And other translations put it this way. Your welfare is bound up in its welfare. If that city that has taken you captive is prospered, I'm going to prosper you. When that city has riches and wealth and power and all the rest of it, somehow I'm going to use all that to grow and prosper you. Can you imagine the consternation of the people when they receive this word? For a start, it's coming from Jeremiah. This is the guy they threw down a well. This is the guy who got locked up time and time again. This is the guy who wept through the streets of Jerusalem, weeping over the judgment of God that was coming. And he writes this letter to these guys. He goes, oh, look, yeah, I know you guys are in captivity and everything, but you've got to now bless those who have taken you captive and destroyed your house. Not only that, there are whole bunches of prophets that are there with them in captivity, That is saying, thus saith the Lord, this captivity is only for two years. Don't listen to that pessimistic, weeping prophet of doom, Jeremiah. Because it's all good. We're going to be out of here in no time. God is going to bless you again. and He's going to avenge. He's going to take vengeance on our enemies. What does God say about that? Well, Jeremiah goes on to say, for thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And here's this huge note of caution that stands through all the generations from then till now because listen to what God says about the prophets and dreams that are released that are not from him. Listen to this emphasis. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Our desire for prosperity, for peace, for taking it easy, for all the things that we love can lure us toward voices that speak what we want to hear. And as soon as you start prophesying something alternative to what people want to hear persecution comes but the mandate of the Lord upon the prophetic is to prophesy without fear and without favour in other words you can't fear the consequence of what you're prophesying And you can't sugarcoat or put favour around something that God has not blessed. You see it throughout all of Israel's history. You see it when uh, there was a king who wanted um, to hear about a a war that he was going up into and he asked for the prophets and the prophets came and said all sorts of stuff to him about how he was going to win this battle and all the rest of it. But something in him was still attuned to the voice of the Lord in some way and he starts looking around he goes, isn't there another prophetic voice that I can listen to? And then the genuine prophetic rises up and it's one out of maybe 400. You can always find someone to minimise the effect of your sin and your compromise but a faithful prophet willing to speak against the prevailing culture is much more rare. And when it comes to dreams, we must be asking for God's dreams, not ours. And then, then uh, Jeremiah goes on to prophesy, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Who knows that scripture? Who's, who can put their hand up and say, that scripture is my testimony. I've been given a future and a hope because of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will be found by you, says the Lord, then I will bring you back from your captivity. There is a direct connection between seeking the Lord and having the plan and purposes for your life from him roll out. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. God exiled them into a pagan culture into captivity so that they would seek his face and he would restore them. But along the way, he wanted to teach them about what they were to do while they were there. And he was saying, pray for those who have captured you. You know, I've heard Jeremiah twenty nine seven. Sorry, Jeremiah 29, 11 uh, preached a number of times and it's not a misuse of scripture to use a verse like that to encourage people back to the Lord. Every passage of scripture speaks to us where we are at if we will allow it and that's the prophetic nature of the word of God. This is why the Old Testament is so important. There is a, 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 a quite a sizable chunk of the church that these days says we should only preach out of the New Testament because we're only under that covenant. And we are. We are under the New Covenant, but the Old Covenant points to the New Covenant. You can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. And in fact, the very first sermon that I heard after I returned to the Lord was on that scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, in February 1996 25 years ago (laughs) and so uh, the particular church that I rolled up in uh, how do I share this testimony I had this profound encounter with Jesus when I was as far away from God as you can be I was selling drugs out of my flat I'd had years of addiction. Uh, I had broken every relationship that existed in my life. I had made a complete mess of my life. And I had this encounter with the Lord. I gave my heart back to Jesus and I said, if you can do something with my life, Lord, I give it to you today. And then as soon as I had made that decision to come into relationship with God, I knew that I had to start going to church, (laughs) being part of fellowship. And um, and so God led me in a dream to a church that's now called Hope Point Church um, over in George's Hall that at the time was called Calvary Chapel. And so I rang up my mum and said, is that church, because I remembered that church from when I was about 12 years of age, a church where the power of God was just so present. I remembered it from the 60s, the early 70s. I rang up my mum and said, is that church still going, that Calvary Chapel? Because I had this dream about it. And she said, yeah, it's there, but it's moved to this big, bigger building in George's Hall. So I rock up there and I was just like, I was me. Like, I didn't, know, didn't really know what to expect. So I walk in and I got hair past my shoulders. Now, I know that takes some real imagination on your part. <laughs> But I had long hair past my shoulders, I had these big gold earrings. I had like, like, this is 1996, I had the pointed cowboy, hand tooled Mexican cowboy boots. and and a kind of hippie shirt on, and I was playing in a rock band and stuff, and I just kind of strolled in, and I just strolled into culture shock, man. I was like, this was a middle-class church, and everybody had been rooted to the same seat for generations, (laughs) even though it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful presence of the Lord in that place. I felt so out of place. And then uh, I was familiar with what goes on in churches because I I knew... uh, because I grew up in church, so I knew somebody was going to get up and preach. And next thing you know, Pastor Don gets up. He didn't know I was going to be there that Sunday. He gets up and he preaches on Jeremiah 29, 11. And I just lost it, man. I went, I went out at that altar call and God began to, began to do a miracle in me that he continues to this day. So don't ever disparage something you see in the Old Testament because it's meant to enrich you. Amen. There is so much hope in this passage of Scripture, but there is also a specific instruction that God has for his people. Seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its shalom, in its prosperity, in all the wonders of the blessings I will pour out upon it, I'm going to come and pour all those blessings upon you. And it, it, I, I'm not aware of a precedent in scripture that's like this. This is not what Moses did with Pharaoh. He said, Let my people go. They're captive here. You let them out. We're going to release plagues. God's going to release frogs and blood and hail and you name it. God's going to pour our judgment on you. And yet here, God takes an equally evil nation and says, I'm going to use this and I'm going to come to Jerusalem. I'm going to destroy the whole place. I'm going to capture all these people. They're going to go there. Then I'm going to ask the people, forget about plagues, forget about punishment, forget about judgment. Bless them. Bless them. But see, this is typical of the word of God. That it takes what would be regarded as sensible human principles, Somebody destroys my house. I want vengeance. (laughs) I want revenge. I want them to pay. Are you with me or not, church? (laughs) Nobody's game to admit it. (laughs) This is the flesh that rises up, right? And yet God is showing his people something prophetic here. He takes what would be regarded as sensible human principles that this wrong must be righted and I need my justice now and he turns those principles on their head to bring God's perspective into view and I'm looking at this and I'm going, he's asking them to bless their enemies. I'm going, hang on, that's New Testament. Matthew 4, Matthew 5, 44 to 45. This is Jesus. This is straight God. This is the Bible. This is what we are called to do. I say to you, love your enemies. (laughs) Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. (laughs) Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. (laughs) This is why... This is why Western civilization prospered, these sorts of principles. Not always well expressed. There's been lots of stuff that's been done wrong in the name of Western civilization. But this is what turned our world on its head. And this is now what the, worst, what the West is turning its back on. And I hold grave fear for the future of any civilization that deliberately turns its back on marginalizes and then bans the word of god pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust <laughs> And there's a very challenging concept buried in his command to bless those who curse you and to love your enemies and all those things because there's a pivot point here where he says your sonship is determined by your obedience to what I'm expressing. Because he says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. If you want to be a son, you're going to have to do what Jesus says. It's part of our promise to be sons and daughters of the King and Jesus ties sonship to loving and blessing and praying for those who persecute you. Oof. This is all easier said than done, right? This is the transforming work in the whole, of the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing that will enable you to do this. It's not a matter of fake it till you make it. It's a matter of God, I cannot do this, but I know that by your spirit, I can. Amen. <laughs> Now, the Bible does not give us a clear view of what percentage of captive Israelites responded to Jeremiah's message, because his message is kind of like Jesus's, right? They've lost everything, they're in captivity. And the Bible doesn't tell us what percentage of captive Israelites responded to that message or how they implemented what they were being asked to do. But God tells us the story of one such young man and his friends who responded to God's command without compromise. His name was Daniel and his friends were Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And Luke preached beautifully about the part they played in the breaking of Nebuchadnezzar's pride last week. I want you to just expand the scope of what you see in this uh, area of Israel's history, and then we're going to narrow in on an incident. I want you to see that the first uh, batch of captives were taken uh, from Jerusalem to uh, Babylon in about 607 BC, and Daniel and his friends were there throughout uh, the entire 70 years of captivity. Not only that, but Daniel served in a position of very high influence and honour under four different kings in those 70 years. He was there through the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius and Cyrus. Cyrus, the one who said you can go and have your land back, right? God raised him up in the courts of these kings with great power and authority and for 70 years he obeyed God and was a blessing to an evil kingdom while without compromise serving God's greater purpose. And there are some things that that kind of give you pause when you consider his story. And here is where I believe God is taking us with Daniel's story and with Jeremiah's prophecy that he and his friends responded to Jeremiah's prophecy. They sought the peace, the shalom of Babylon, and God gave them incredible favour. Even in the midst of adversity, Daniel was given a prime place at the head of all the people who were responsible for advising these kings. He was surrounded by enemies who wanted him destroyed because of who he represented. He was in authority. This does my head in. He was in authority. He was the leader of their necromancers, their astrologists, their soothsayers, their diviners, their magicians, and those totally given to occult practices. But the difference between him and them was his only source was God. And every time there was a challenge to the authority of God, God showed off through Daniel. Interpreting dreams, not just interpreting dreams, but saying, oh, by the way, this is the dream that you had. Word for word, this is what happened in your dream and this is what it means. He was raised up in, in incredible accuracy, power and authority in the midst of a pagan culture. And whenever he was tested, he did not bow to culture or prevailing belief. He stood for God and was prospered in the midst of a culture that was absolutely opposed to everything he stood for. He's supposed to be a captive and here he is and he's practically running the country. He refused to allow the culture he lived in to compromise his identity. And he was tested many times and so were his friends. And these guys are representative of the remnant of God who ensure that his purposes prevail, not man's purposes and not the kingdom of darkness' purposes. You guys are all potential remnants. In fact, I believe you are remnants. Because here you are on a Sunday morning worshipping God in a culture that's turning its back progressively upon him. But God wants you to understand today that he has favour upon you. He has favour and blessing and shalom upon your life, even in the midst of a pagan culture. And so these magicians and these occult practitioners were always looking for some avenue through which to get at Daniel, to get at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and take them out because they wanted to be the the high guys and they couldn't stand it that somebody that represented Yahweh was actually more accurate than they were, had more power and authority than they did, could, could tell dreams, interpret them, could could tell the future, all these different things that they were relying on familiar spirits for God. God was entrusting his voice through Daniel. And so when they looked for these opportunities, they would challenge whether or not Daniel or his friends would compromise because Daniel's friends refused about a culture as well. And so uh, Luke touched on this last week. I want to just expand this a little bit about... Nebuchadnezzar's command to raise up an idol in his own image and everybody had to come and worship it you remember the story from last week right and so he orders this idol to be erected to which everyone must bow and Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they refuse and they say to him in Daniel 3:18, let it be known to you O king that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That's bold, that's brave. And so the king pronounces judgment on it on them. They they heat the fire to four times hotter, and then it says Daniel three twenty one. Then these men Shadrach Meshach and Abednego were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turmans. And their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, so, so David, come over here for a minute, bro. <laughs> so, here's David. Just, just imagine him, and you know, it's 580 BC or something, and he's got this long robe on. He's got a turban on his head. He's got probably a mantle over his shoulders. And these soldiers come and they get these these bindings and they wrap them around him so that he cannot move. The only way he can move is by bouncing up and down. Just do that for us, bro. (laughs) He can't go that way. He can't go that way. He's bound, right? Thank you, David. Beautiful illustration. (laughs) Um, And so... (laughs) So here they are, the three of them, they're bound, they cannot move. These soldiers pick them up and take them to the mouth of this furnace and they hurl them into the furnace and the fire is so hot that the guys throwing them in die of asphyxiation probably from the heat just invading their lungs. And it says in verse 22... um, so I'll go back to 21. These men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments and were cast into the bur- midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. They are bound, they cannot move and they're in a a fire that's hot enough to melt metal. But then look what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counsellors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. You know why Jesus showed up? Because these three guys said to the king, let it be known to you, O king that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They refused the compromise and Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up in their fiery trial, just like he shows up in mine and just like he shows up in yours. Whatever the fiery trial might be, Jesus will turn up. And I want you to notice something about uh, about these three guys when they're thrown into the fire. They are bound. The only things... Well, I should read this verse. Daniel 3.27 The satraps, the administrators, the governors and the king's counsellors Gathered together. These are all the guys that have plotted against these three men. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. So not only did Jesus turn up in the midst of this fiery trial, but only the cords that bound them were destroyed. Only the cords of the enemy were destroyed, everything else was preserved. They're walking around in the furnace having a chat to Jesus while all the Babylonians freak out and go, what's going on? Didn't we just throw three guys? Who's that fourth guy? And man, I can't even look at him because the glory upon him, it's like the Son of Man, the Son of God. And and here is an appearance of Jesus on behalf of his people. Do you serve a different Jesus to the one I'm describing here? Of course not. We serve this Jesus, the Jesus who is with you in the trial, the Jesus who says, I'm going to bring you out, you're not going to smell of smoke. Not only that, the enemy's chains that have bound you are going to fall off in the process. God has a purpose for your trial. He has a purpose for the fire. It's not something that we are to fear. I believe that if they hadn't bound those three and the king said, you, you three are going in that fire, they would have taken off sprinting toward the fire instead of away of it. So sure were they that God was going to deliver them. On, he will deliver you, He will deliver me. You will come out without even the smell of smoke on you. That's right. People go. I can still smell that Chanel number five on you. <laughs> Rather that than poison, right? <laughs> okay. And the response of Nebuchadnezzar is, and this, is, this has a part to play as well Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel. That's the only way he knew to describe who he saw But you'll notice that his angel is capitalized, so you know it's Jesus. And delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Nebednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Not only did they come out of the fire unscathed, but their enemies were silenced. If you say anything against this God, this is the command of Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to turn your house into into an ash heap. I'm going to destroy you and your family. If you say anything against this God... So you've got to understand that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had a heart to serve the city in which they were captive but they refused to compromise. So they wanted to be a blessing but they were not going to compromise who they were. They were not going to compromise their identity. And so when it was challenged in circumstances that I pray none of us ever have to walk through, when they were challenged with death even, they were not afraid to stand and say, this is the God who I serve. I will not bow to yours and what happens out of this is not only is the voice of the enemy silenced not only uh, do they come out unscathed with their chains off but they are promoted in the province of Babylon the opposite of what their enemies intended for them is what happened isn't that what you want? These guys were already in positions of high authority but this decree of the king took them even higher all because they would not compromise their worship of the one true God and in doing so Favour was given to all of Israel. This is one of the reasons why Israel was preserved through 70 years of captivity and not destroyed, because of the faithfulness of these guys to serve in high positions of honour, even in uh, even in a pagan nation, and by their obedience to God and by their heart to serve, God preserved the entire nation through 70 years until the 70 years were up, not a day before, not a day after. God had his purpose. It was going to be done. All he needed was a rem- and to rise up and say, I will do what you're asking me to do. I will stand on these principles that you have given me. I will not compromise who I am in you. And I know that as I bless this nation that wants to kill me, you're going to bless me, even as you prosper them. But you will bring me out into an eternal reward. We ain't going back to Jerusalem. We're going up there. Hallelujah. Throughout the reign of four ungodly evil kings, God prospered Daniel and his friends and used them for his purposes. And we live in a culture that looks a lot like Babylon. We live in a time where increasingly we are being asked to bow to the idols of our day. God is asking us to pray for the shalom of the cultures We live in, even in their ungodliness, while maintaining the integrity of who we are. And I want you to get this that it is God who has the final say in your destiny. It is not man, it is not your enemies, it is not the devil. God is the determiner of your destiny. His plan and purpose for you was written before worlds were formed. Before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. You know, I was only 20% into preparing this message when God began speaking to me about what he wants to do this morning out of this word. Because God uh, was showing me, and in some measure I was experiencing this, that some of us have become discouraged. Some of us are disappointed about what has happened in our lives recently. Some of us have even been tempted to give up. God, I can't see a way through. It's going to be easier for me if I do this or if I do that. It's going to be easier for me if I don't pay the price. But when we attempt it like this, we need to understand that our short-term gain brings a whole bunch of long-term pain. Can I get the uh, worship team up? Thanks, guys. There's a whole bunch of people here in the room today and watching online that have been discouraged, that have come to a place where, God, I don't know what to do next. Oh, yes. God wants to strengthen you today. Before I was even 20% through this message, God spoke this scripture to me and I had no idea how it was going to fit, but I knew it was the altar call. The altar call is Hebrews 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. I believe that God wants to come and strengthen the hands that are hanging down. Oh God, it's so hard for me to worship you while I'm going through this. Oh God it's 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 so difficult for me in this season i'm discouraged i'm depressed i just don't know where i'm going i'm disappointed i thought i prayed to you and and you didn't answer my goodness that is a very dangerous accusation to make because god's timing is not yours it's his it <laughs> was strengthen the hand strengthen the hands which hang down on the feeble knees and he's where it gets very pointed toward us. Make straight paths for your feet. Make the determination in your heart that you are going to walk that straight, narrow path that God has set for your life so that what is lame may not be dislocated. So let's say, for instance, like me, I've got a limp, right, from a motorcycle accident. So I walk a little bit lame, right? God says... If I do not straighten my parts, that ankle may well become dislocated. That's what it just said, right? So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. When I walk a straight path, God's healing is released into my life. So whatever part of your walk today is not straight and narrow, God wants to come and strengthen you just like he strengthened these guys so that you can walk that direct, narrow path, not looking to the left, not looking to the right. And when that temptation comes to go this way or that way, you will hear the voice, it's promised to us, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you are tempted to turn to the left or to the right, So, Lord, I thank you that you are making straight paths for our feet today. I want to thank you, Father God, for your strengthening power that's being released right now. Can we stand, church? If this is what you need today, if what you need is to be strengthened, I want to tell you prophetically that God is here to meet that need. God is here... Remember, I got that prophetic word in worship where chains were coming off, chains were coming off. Whatever your fiery trial is that you're in the moment, I want to tell you God is breaking those chains off. Let go of them. Move into what God has for you. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you are strengthening hands which have been hanging down. Let's just raise our hands in worship to God. Thank you, Lord, for that strengthening that is coming upon each one right now in your presence. I thank you, Lord, for that release of your spirit right now in this room. And to those online that are watching this morning, I thank you, Lord, for that strengthening that is coming. I thank you, Father God, for the straightening of our paths That is a result of that strengthening. I thank you, Father God, that healing power is being released to those parts of us that have been lame, Lord, that have not been as you would want them to be. Lord, pour out your Spirit now upon all of us here and release that strengthening. If you want to respond to this, If you need the strengthening of the Lord for the season that you're walking in, if you need your paths made straight, if you need to be strengthened, just come out the front, raise your hands to the Lord and receive the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Lord, we declare that we are people of your presence. We welcome your presence right now, Lord. Come and do what only you can do, Lord. Come and touch the hearts of those gathered here in particular at the front, Lord. Touch their hearts and strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen them. Strengthen them. Thank you, Lord. God bless you.